welcome to the Vineyard Cincinnati podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from one of our weekend services. To subscribe to our podcast or listen to other messages, go to vineyardcincinnati.com slash podcast. There's an old parable that I came across recently, or I remembered recently, and the parable is this. A crow lived joyfully, satisfied with his life in the forest until one day as he was perched in his tree, he looked down in the nearby pond and saw a beautiful white swan swimming along. And he thought to himself, that swan is the most beautiful of creatures. He must be the happiest creature in the world. If only I was him. So he went to the swan and told him, You must be the happiest of all creatures. I wish I was you. And the swan said, well, I was happy about myself until I saw the parrot. And the parrot has two colors. And the parrot can parrot back to humans what they've said. And I thought to myself, that must be the happiest of all creatures. I wish I was him. So the the crow agreed and went to the parrot and told him as such. And the parrot said, well, I was happy until I saw the peacock, who has amazing feathers, many colors, and people from all over the world come to see him in the zoo. And I thought, that must be the happiest of creatures. I wish I was him. So the crow told the peacock of the dilemma, and he agreed. He thought, I wish I was you. And the peacock said, well, I always thought I was the happiest and most beautiful of creatures. And then I realized that because of my beauty, I'm trapped in a zoo, made to have people gawk at me all day long. And then one day, I looked up in the trees and saw you perched all by yourself, free to eat and go and do as ever you please. And I thought to myself, that must be the most incredible creature ever. I wish I was you. Do I need to tell you the meaning of the parable? There's something in all of us that skews towards that kind of thinking. We all think about what he or she has that I wish I had. We all find ourselves regularly dissatisfied with our own lives. You finally hit that perch that you think that will make me happy, but then you, make, then you need that to make you happy. The house needs to be bigger. The car needs to be, be- bigger. The, the kids need to be better. Whatever it is, the job needs to be better. Whatever it is, there's something in us that doesn't allow ourselves to sit in true contentment and true satisfaction and joy in life. Our minds race of all the things that are happening around us, the the carnival in our brain, again, the things we wish we had or the things we wish we didn't have or whatever that that, that make us miss out on living fully alive in the present. Just recently, Kim and I had the privilege of going out to Phoenix where the 15 biggest vineyards in the United States went for a conference to talk about that denomination that we were a part of. And, and they treated us to a spa day where they allowed us to get a, get a massage. And I, I never get massages. This was going to be like the third massage in my life. And we go to get the massage. I'm kind of excited. Like I haven't had too many of these and it's free. And I go in there and immediately I start, my mind starts racing because I've got to strip down to my, my compression shorts and, and, I, and with a, a person I don't know, a stranger, a, a, another female at that touching me. I only like my wife touching me. 
And I'm feeling awkward about that. I'm thinking about that. And then, and then I'm consumed with the thought, I wonder if she thinks my toenails look horrible. It's like, I start getting in my head like, oh my gosh, she's going to judge my feet. And then she starts hitting me in some spots and I'm, I'm ticklish. And then she starts hitting me in some spots and I'm jigglish. I'm like, oh, she's evaluating my love handles. Like, like I'm just thinking about all these. I can't fully enjoy the moment. And the entire time, the entire hour, I'm thinking, oh, God in heaven, I hope I don't pass gas. I mean, how many of you guys have had, come on, anybody else? Like, like oh, I'm, I'm feeling it. I don't want to do it because that would be really awkward, right? And I, I didn't fully enjoy the moment because I'm just thinking, don't let that happen. And then we get done and Kim and I are walking back to our, because she was in the other room getting one at the same time. We're walking back to our hotel room. It's like a a uh, half a mile walk back in the hot sun. And, and I start thinking to myself, by the time I get to my hotel, hotel room, I'm hot and tired. I need another one. Anyone relate? Emotionally, spiritually, physically, we let the thoughts of life, the carnival of life, rob us of the joy and contentment that we're allowed to have in, in Christ. We miss out on the joy of Jesus and what he has for us because we're so consumed with what we do or don't have or the thoughts going on in our brain. We have the, the fear of not enough or the craving of something more. All we have to do is watch kids at Christmas time open that brand new gift that they're so excited to have and they, they're over the moon and they look at their sibling who's got another toy and they start going, but I want that one. And by the end of the day, they're playing with the boxes. It's like, it's amazing. how And we're just like them. We wonder where they get it. It's never enough. There's this quote from an, uh, an anonymous source. I couldn't find who wrote it, but I think it's a brilliant quote. The person wrote this. For a long time, it had seemed to me that life was always just about to begin. Real life. I'm, I'm just on the verge of getting real life, right? But there's always something to be done or someone to beat in order to get that life. Something or someone to be gotten through first. Something or someone to accomplish, overcome first. Something to be paid or someone to pay me. Then, then life would begin. It dawned on me that these somethings and someones were my life. We miss the joy of the journey. We miss the somethings and someones on the journey because we're always looking for another something or another someone. I've talked to scores of retired people who tell me I was dissatisfied my whole life waiting to get to this moment where I had that nest egg to retire and now I'm wondering what I missed. It's in all of us, isn't it? We're always looking somewhere else. A friend of mine just told me his story. He was given a $200 gift card to Ruth Chris Steakhouse downtown. He was so excited. He got a free steak dinner with his wife, $200 to Ruth Chris, and he's down there. He takes a selfie of he and his wife at their table, and he texts it to two of his friends, and one of the friends texts back, that's awesome. Here's my wife and I. We're at the precinct right now, and my friend texts back, dang, I like the precinct more. Wish I was there, to which the third friend sends a video, and the video shows mac and cheese strewn all over the floor and his three-year-old throwing a temper tantrum. And the text says, seriously, perspective. <laughs> We're like that, aren't we? And even the one with the three-year-old is missing out on the joy of the three-year-old. Because the next thing you know, 
The kids 10 are like, oh, I wish they were three again, right? How many of us do that? We miss out because we're always looking elsewhere. There's something in all of us that moves towards a state of discontentment. Or we live in a state of distraction and dissatisfaction and we find flaws in everything around us rather than choosing joy. Here's the deal. We must choose to break off this state of discontentment. We must choose to break off this state of joylessness and choose to step into a state of joy and true contentment. We have to decide this. And the promise of Jesus, the one who lived, died, rose again, the one who sets us free from our sin and gives us true life and abundant life, says in me and in me alone, you can have true joy and true contentment. The, the promise of the gospel is that we get to have joy and contentment in him no matter what our circumstances. That's why we're doing this series called Joyful. And if you've not been with us, we're in week four of our series. We're walking through the book of Philippians written by the Apostle Paul, who had, who had antagonized Christ's followers, who hated Jesus and his followers till he met the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus, fell on his face before God and said, I sell it all, I leave it all to follow the one who is life. And here he sits in prison for his faith, writing this letter while chained to a guard, and he's talking about joy. In spite of the most horrific circumstances you could be in, in prison for for something you've not done wrong, for, for, for innocence, and he's saying, I choose joy. I challenge you to do the same. That's why we're doing this series. And recall, in this series, we've been saying this. Happiness is temporary. Happiness is great. We love to be happy, but it's temporary. It comes and goes. But joy is more. It's eternal. It lasts forever. Why? Because joy is a person. It's a person of Jesus. And that's why we're doing this series. So recall the first week, Clay talked about we got to break off the chains that cause joylessness and step into the truth of the gospel. And then Jennifer talked about choose the attitude of Jesus who made himself nothing so that we could have life. And he rose from the dead. And then last week, we talked about the joy robbers and the attitude we must have. Today, we look at the mindset that Paul calls us to have and invites us to have so we can live lives as joyful, true contentment. Would you bow your heads with me and pray as we get started? Heavenly Father, we need you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to stir and move. Help us to choose joy. We want to experience deep contentment in you, no matter our circumstances. In your name, amen. You got your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Again, Paul writing from prison, writing chained to a guard, at chapter 4, verse 4, he says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So recall, last week we said that word rejoice, literally in Greek, the New Testament's written in Greek, literally can be translated, make joy. Decide joy. Choose joy. And rejoice in the Lord means 
Make joy in the truth of who Jesus is. Make joy because of who Jesus is, because of who Jesus will be, because of what he's done to set us free from our sin, because he's risen from the dead. Make joy because of who he makes you to be. Make joy. And he says, do this because the Lord is at hand. Now, now he, gives, he gives us some attitudes that are a result of this kind of joy. When he says, make joy, you're going to have this attitude, but also we've got to choose this attitude in order to experience joy. And the first attitude is reasonableness. He says, let your reasonableness be made known to everyone because the Lord is at hand. Now, that word reasonableness is an interesting word. It can be translated, be generous. Have a generous mindset. Have a charitable mindset. Have a grace-based mindset. Have a a gentle mindset, a fair-minded mindset. Paul is saying here, you want to experience joy, a reflection of joy is reasonableness, but you want to experience it, choose to be generous. Make generosity happen throughout your lives. Choose to be generous with your words, generous with grace to others, generous with your time, and generous with your resources. And the reason why he says we do that is because the Lord is at hand. We, we, We acknowledge that all that we have is his, All that we have is from him. What Paul is basically saying is this. God's grace, God's love is always at hand. So you must hand it out. That's like one of those amen moments. That's like like when, if I was in a a more charismatic church, amen, right? Like, 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 Like we love to be given grace, don't we? We love when people give us grace. But we don't always like to give grace out. We love it when someone extends us love we always we kind of want to make people sit in the doghouse, right? But, but Jesus' grace is free for all of us when we don't deserve it. He, he gives grace freely when he's perfect. It's always at hand. So Jesus says, as you've received grace, Paul is saying, give grace out. As you've received the generosity of the Lord, live generously because he has handed it out freely. This phrase, the Lord is at hand, also means he's in us. He's near at all times. It's all his, and he's coming back. At the end of chapter 3, if you go back and read it, he says, remember, our citizenship is in heaven. This is not your true home. I know we live like it's our true home, but this is not our true home. And when we know it's not our true home, when we know our true identity is as citizens of heaven, I'll live freer and more joyfully here because I keep this world in perspective. He says at the beginning of chapter 4, stand firm in this truth. Like when we understand my citizenship is elsewhere, I live freely, I live more firm, I live more joyfully and more content because I know what this is all about. I'm just passing through. And then I make it better here and I make it more like it is in heaven. Have you ever been with a friend that just passes out generosity, generous words, kindness? I've got a good friend, a mentor of mine, that every every time we're together, he he just pours onto me love and gracious words and just builds me up and just I leave feeling like a million bucks like like and I said like bud and you're always just telling me like I can't even get a wording because you're telling me how much you love me how much you believe in me and and you're listening to me and he goes Matt here's the deal I feel far more joyful giving it out than getting it because it is true it's more blessed to give than receive when, when we pour out this kind of generosity, joy and generosity pours back into us. When we pour out generosity and kindness, contentment fills us because we, we begin to hear and see change in people's lives and we feel purpose and meaning and true 
contentment. Paul goes on to tell us the next thing that, that results from joy and also brings joy. Here's what he says. He continues that thought. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. That means asking. But in everything, by prayer and asking, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I love this. And what happens? The peace of God, the shalom of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I can read a verse like this, and I can think, thanks a lot, Paul. Thanks for telling me to chill. Isn't it helpful when it says, hey, don't worry. Thank you, because I'm worrying right now. Right? Isn't it helpful when your spouse says, hey, just chill out. Thanks a lot. Doesn't help. Well, that's actually not what Paul's doing right here. He's not telling us to chill. Basically, he's saying, in light of the fact that the Lord is at hand, what I'm telling you to realize is because the Lord is at hand, you get to now be a non-anxious presence. When you're connected to the Father, anxiousness begins to flow. Like, like you become freer of anxiety when you're connected to the Father. So as you're connected to the Father and you have a reasonable mind, that charitable, gracious, generous mind, then you'll begin to be freer of anxiety. But he's also saying here, but we also have to choose to be a non-anxious presence. It's a both and. I receive a non-anxious presence as I connect with Jesus, but I also have to choose a non-anxious presence to connect more deeply with Jesus and others. It's a both and thing. And the way we choose to experience non-anxious presence, he says, is through prayer, through prayer and asking with thanksgiving. Now, the primary point of prayer is not to get our our prayers met. The primary point of prayer is to connect with our Father in heaven. The primary point of prayer is to be connected with, to hear the voice of God, to say, you're in control, you're God, I'm not, I need you, and you love me. That's the first point, to abide in Jesus, as Jesus says. And when you abide in Jesus, fruit flows. But the second thing in prayer is then to ask, but we ask with thanksgiving. I love that idea. You ask not with entitlement, you're not like Spalding and Caddish, like, I want hot dogs, I want ice cream, I want this, I want that. It's like an attitude that says, God, whatever I'm asking for, I'm asking in, in, in a heartbeat of thanksgiving, you've already given me all that I have. You already made me all that I am. You're good, you're God, you're in control in all situations. When we pray with this attitude, we connect with the Father, and we pray with thanksgiving, what happens is, I love it, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, surpasses all understanding, guards our hearts. This word peace, in, in Hebrew, it's shalom. In Greek, it's a, it's a, a word you'd never remember. We're, we're familiar with shalom. But the word literally means to break off the authority attached to chaos. Isn't that cool? When you receive the, priest, the peace of God, the authority attached to chaos, like there's so much chaos in our world. And when the chaos is happening, there's an, an authority that the enemy wants us to have that globs onto us, attaches onto us. When you receive the peace of God, that authority is taken away. And you're now set free to be at peace in the midst of chaos. You may, like, I know who God is. And I know what Jesus has done. And I know who God has made me to be. I can sit in calm peace and joy. Now, again, this doesn't mean your problems go away. The the, the promise of peace, this promise is peace 
is for peace in the problems, not a problem-free life. See, the promise is you have peace in the midst of problems, not a problem-free life. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, I'm going to have trouble. But what does Jesus say? Take heart. Why? I've overcome the world. I'm already seated on the throne. I lived, I died, I rose again. I'm coming back. Don't forget who you are, and don't forget why you're here. When we lean into Jesus in this way, peace begins to flow. You guys know I've got three daughters. I love my three daughters. And being a parent for the last 23 years, I don't know if you guys feel this way, might be one of the most difficult things I've ever done, right? Because they just, they're just these individual, individual beings that kind of do their own thing. Like they, they, they have a free will. I wish I could make them do what I want them to do all the time, right? They, they don't, right? Like marriage is hard, but at least you got two adults talking to each other. Kids, you're like, I can't control you. You're like, and the older they get, the less controllable they are. And we're not meant to control them. That's not the point. And, and the, the sooner you realize that, the freer everyone becomes. And, and so in my years of parenting, there, there's been times where they've gone a little sideways, where they've made decisions that I don't think are healthy decisions. And, I, and I, everything within me wants to pin them down and control them, right? Especially as they get older. And I've got amazing daughters. They love Jesus. But like me, when I was a kid, they made bad decisions, by the way, my dad loves to remind me. He goes, oh, I love how you're having some hardships with your kids. It's great. It just reminds me of everything you put me through. And mine are way better than I was. Mine are amazing. But there's been times in the journey where the Lord has just had to remind me. And the more I do this, the better off that we are. We just say, God, we get on our knees. We like literally physically hold our hands up as if to say, these are your daughters, not ours. They belong to you, not us. I'm not responsible for them. I'm to be responsible to them. I'm responsible to reflect the gospel to them. And I'm just handing them to you, Lord. And guess what happens? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, takes over. Now notice, I said earlier, the problems don't necessarily go away. There's no promise that problems go away. There's promise that peace flows Here's the question. Do we pray like this? Do we live like this? Do we live like Jesus is our source? Do we go to him, seeking him, connecting with him, abiding in him, resting in him, believing that he's where life and joy and contentment are found? Well, Paul then goes to tell us, when we pray like this, here's the attitude and mindset you should have as you pray, and here's what will happen. Here's what happen. Read this. This is great. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true. So when you're praying with thanksgiving, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul's saying, which he's learned from the Father. Practice these things. And what happens? The God of peace, the God of shalom, the God of shalom will be with you. He just keeps saying this idea that when we lean into Jesus, we experience all that Jesus has and we, have a, we choose this mindset of thinking on the good things. It doesn't mean we don't acknowledge the hard things, 
But he's saying, think on joy, think on truth, think on honorable stuff, think on just stuff, think on purity, think on lovely, think on commendable. And when we do, joy flows and contentment happens. I mean, just think about it. If I sat there and said to you, all right, think right now, think right now, you stink, you stink, you stink, you're worthless, you're worthless, you're worthless. What would happen? Joylessness. But if I say, oh, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, you're loved, you're loved, you're loved, you matter, you matter, you matter. All right. Think about, if you think about your spouse, ah, she's always, she's never, she's never, he's always, he's never, versus think on your spouse, ah, Jesus loves them. Jesus made them who they are. You think about who they are in the good stuff. Again, doesn't mean you don't acknowledge this stuff, but think what happens in your brain when you think on the true things, the good things, rather than the negative things. Jesus said our heart changes, and the reality is Jesus is these things. Go back to that list. When you think on Jesus, Jesus is true. Jesus is honorable. Jesus is just. Jesus is pure. Jesus is lovely. He's commendable. Jesus is the only one that's truly excellent. And Jesus is the only one who's praiseworthy. Hebrews 12, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And then you run the race well. I love what Eugene Peterson says translates that last part of the verse. He says, it's amazing what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of our lives. When you have that worry hit you, again, it's okay to acknowledge it, but then put Jesus in the place of the worry. Again, it doesn't mean the problem goes away, but the worry about the problem, the fear in the midst of the problem begins to disperse. When we put Jesus in the center, peace flows. And this whole Decision leads to a life of true joy and contentment. Here's what Paul says as you read this. Remember, writing in prison, chained to a guard, here's what he says. Wouldn't it be great if we all could say this kind of thing? Paul says, while chained to a guard, I've learned by now to be quite content. The ESV translates, I've learned to be content in any and every circumstance. Whatever my circumstances, I'm just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. I found out the recipe for true happiness, which means joy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. That's that famous verse 413. If you've got a verse you want to memorize, it's translated, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Again, doesn't mean I'll have a problem-free life, but it means I'll have a purposeful life, of a meaningful life, a life full of contentment and joy because I know who I am. I like this phrase, I can make it through any because I'm in the one who is life and I'm in the one who makes me who I am. Oh my gosh, what if we live this way? Now I want to say something real quick about contentment. As Paul says, we can have true contentment, true satisfaction. True contentment is not complacency or comfort. Paul is not sitting in prison saying, I hope I never leave here. Right? If you're in a bad spot, get out of it. Right? Don't just stay in it and wallow. It's not about complacency. True contentment is not about comfort. Paul's sitting in prison. That's not what contentment is. Contentment is so much more. Contentment is in spite of my circumstances, I'm content, I'm satisfied because I'm centered on Jesus. I'm centered on the one who is life. Therefore, that means 
I'm now confident in who he is and what he's done. I'm confident in who he's made me to be. I'm controlled by the Holy Spirit in me. And therefore, I'm now compelled to live my life, making here on earth as it is in heaven. Contentment is a byproduct of true joy in Christ. But it's also a decision. It's a choice to decide every day to see God working, to see God's goodness. The story of a king and his friend, and the friend would say, this is good in every situation, whether a positive situation or a negative situation. The friend would just say, this is good. Well, he loaded the king's gun for him. Whenever they would go hunting, he was the handler of the gun. He would load it. And, and the king was holding the gun and went to shoot a deer, and the gun backfired and blew his thumb off. As they're looking at the, cum, the king's blown thumb off, the friend says, ah, this is good. And the king says, this is not good. I am not happy at all. How dare you say this is good? And he was so angry, he threw his friend in jail. Well, a year goes by, the friend's in jail, and the king is off on another hunting expedition in a dangerous area. And they're attacked by cannibalists. And the king is taken captive, and cannibalists eat people. So he's going to be eaten by the cannibalists. And he's tied up over a stack of wood about to be lit on fire. And one of the cannibalists knows he has no thumb. And they only eat people that are perfect with no blemishes. So they cut the king loose and say, you can go. We don't want you. And the king is walking home going, oh, my goodness. That actually was good. Not having a thumb spared my life. And he began to feel remorse over putting his friend in prison for the last year. And he immediately goes to his friend when he gets home, and he sits with him and says, I'm so sorry, I threw you in prison. He tells him the whole story, and he says, it's not good that I sent you to jail. And the friend said, no, in fact, this is good. And the king says, it's not good. How could it be good that I sent you to prison for a year? And the friend said, if I had not been in jail, I would have been with you. Now, I'm not suggesting, in the midst of challenges and difficulty, that we ignore those and stuff those. I'm not suggesting you turn a blind eye to the challenges of your life. We all have challenges. What I am saying is you look at the challenges of your life and say, my God is way bigger than whatever challenges I have. I acknowledge my challenges. And it's in acknowledging my challenges that I actually then step into the goodness of God. and see, God is good. God has this. I don't know how you're going to deliver me, but I believe you'll deliver. You may not deliver me this side of heaven, but you are God. You are good. You lived. You died. You rose again. You set me free from all of my sin. You give me hope. You give me meaning. You give me restoration. Therefore, I choose joy. And I make joy because of who God is. And I make joy because of who God was. And I make joy because of who he will be. This is your choice today. And I believe when we do that, contentment flows. I've not kicked this, but the more I lean into Jesus, the more contentment I experience in life. And I want you to have the same. So what are our action steps? Here's our action steps. Three. Each week, we've given you some action steps. I want you to read Philippians chapter four if you've not read it. We've asked you to read this whole book. This Thanksgiving and Christmas season, digest this book. Read chapter four. And then 
read this book called The Treasure Principle. We gave this out a few weeks ago. If you've not gotten one, go to the Welcome Center and get one. If you've gotten one and not read it yet, I want to encourage you to read this. Let me tell you why. I know you're like, Treasure Principle, what's that about? It's not a book about money. It's a book about where true hope and true meaning lies. This is one of the top five books that's changed my life. Literally. I mean, some of the most impactful books I've ever read. When I first read this book, I got a new perspective on all of my life and all of my stuff and where true meaning in life is found. When I read this, it unlocked in me when I lived generously, like we talked earlier, living with a reasonable mindset because the Lord's at hand. There's been freedom. As I let go of stuff, I experience more joy in life. As I, as I let go of stuff, I experience more contentment in life. So I encourage you, go get this book if you've not gotten it. If you have it, you must read this book. And if you read it and hate it, I'll give you $5. Do we have that budget, JR? I'm just kidding. I probably won't do that. But anyway, come. if you don't like it, you're an idiot. Anyway, I'm just kidding. Read this book. And lastly, we want to give you a gift this Thanksgiving season. We want you to come down and get prayer, a prayer blessing for joy. So I want to invite all the prayer teams down right now. We've had more prayer teams than ever. We've doubled up our prayer teams. Lie in the front. We have prayer teams up in the balcony. I know you guys up in the balcony sometimes don't want to talk to people, but come get prayer today. You guys are great. Everyone come get prayer. And here's what we're going to do. They're not going to pray anything spooky or weird over you. It's a blessing. It's a prayer blessing. As you lean into the Thanksgiving season and the Christmas season, we want to give you a gift of a blessing bless you with joy and bless you with peace. They're not going to do anything beyond that. And here, here's the prayer. Let me, let me read you the prayer. Bless this person with the joy of Jesus. And they're going to say your name. Bless this person with the hope of Jesus. Give them eyes to see you, Father, and your goodness in all things. Bless them with your peace that surpasses all understanding. Fill them with your peace and joy so that they know you more fully and experience true contentment in you. And this card is in Spanish as well. By the way, take a picture of that and take it home with you. And if you're, if you're a Spanish-speaking person, we have people in white shirts that will pray the blessing over you in Spanish up, up the balcony in here. We want everyone here to get blessed. And if you're here and you genuinely don't, you're, you're an introvert, you just don't want someone to come pray for you, again, they're not going to do anything weird. If you don't want that, Turn to people next to you. Say, let's pray this over each other. But I really encourage you all, come get a blessing and receive the blessing of the Father on your life right now. The Holy Spirit wants you to encounter him today. Would you do me a favor? Would you stand? And again, we do this. It's nothing weird, nothing mystical. If you want to close your eyes and hold your hands open to receive, just to say, I'm, I'm here. I'm available. I just like to say, I remind myself, I say, Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Holy Spirit, stir. Let me encounter you more. I believe you lived, you died. I believe you rose again. I believe your spirit is in me. If you've never made that confession of faith, you can do that today. Just invite him into you. But when you feel ready, come get prayer. You can also grab a communion cup and take communion to remember the blessing of Jesus. His body was broken. His blood was poured out on the cross. We do this as individuals or we do this in community. But let's just sit in this time. And let's just imagine, by the way, if you take this card or you take this prayer with you, take it on your phone and pray it over your kids. Pray it over your spouse. Pray it over your workplace. Pray it over your, your schools. 
Just believe that God will bring blessing in you and through you. Let's just worship the Lord.
Cause I just want you And nothing else And nothing else Nothing else will do Lord, and I just want you And nothing else And nothing else Nothing else will do As we close today, I want to invite you, if you haven't come get prayer, come get prayer. We're just going to stay right in this place for the next couple of minutes. I want to invite you, come get prayer for more joy, right? We're entering into a season that can be sometimes difficult to find joy, right? It's a beautiful time, but there could be moments where it's hard to find joy. I want to invite you, come get prayer for more joy today. And so we bless you, church. Thanks for joining us this morning, and uh, we love you so much. Have a great week, and seriously, come get prayer. But bless you. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. To subscribe to our podcast or listen to other messages, go to vineyardcincinnati.com slash podcast.